So, <clears throat> and with um, many things that are going on around us, it's easy uh, for us to forget <laughs> that we are actually in the middle of, middle of Lent, uh, commemorating the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting and praying in the wilderness. During this time, Lent is a, is a solemn observance in the Christian liturgical uh, calendar. You know, like there is there's some, like cal the Christian calendar uh, that, you know, a lot of church traditions, uh, different denominations observe. Because um, after this, you know, it's Lent, Friday, Easter, and then the Pentecost, and this, so on and so forth, and all the way to like, once again, like the, the Advent season and all these things. Um, so we are right in the middle of it. Um, so that's something that I just wanted to focus on today. I know for me, I've been kind of focusing on the, on the attributes of God, but, uh, but today, just wanted to uh, think about this uh, as we are going through Lent. And Lent is, a, is, is really uh, about preparing our hearts uh, for the greatest demonstration of love and sacrifice. So it's only fitting for us to focus on like, reflecting, right? Uh, focus on humility and repentance. And, um, and actually, today, I want us to think about yet another theme during Lent, and that is lament, lament. And I think it's a topic that, rare, that is rarely mentioned in the church. Uh, we don't really just hold out of, when was the last time, you know, talk, we, we talk about uh, lamenting, right? Um, but Lent, it is a season of sorrow more than any time of the year. We are to be aware of our frailty and fallen conditions around us. Um, you know, these days uh, we're doing, some of us are doing the marriage, like discipleship group. And, um, you know, as I'm getting to, you know, talk with uh, different couples, uh, you know, I, I just come to realize, man, there's a lot of um, hurt, so much pain, right? A lot of, uh, uh, the struggles and the things that, uh, that, that, that each uh, couple goes through in their own different ways, there's just a lot of frail, and it's, uh, frail conditions and the fallen conditions around us. A lot of hurt and wounds. And there's not a day that goes by without hearing some tragic and heartbreaking news, right? But that's only the tip of an iceberg, right? What we hear in the, the media, Right? That's only just a little tip of the iceberg that we do not see beneath. That's much bigger. So many more things that are going on around us. Right? So, you know, as we reflect during this season, that it's, it's evident, it's pretty obvious that things are just not right in this world. Um, I didn't watch it, but last Sunday, um, I mean, my, you know, that's how I f uh, f hear about news about what's happening in, in the world, in, in the culture and society. And that is my, you know, Facebook like post, it just blew up with uh, what happened at the, uh, the Oscar, right? Um, what they call the slap that was heard around the world uh, where, you know, Will Smith 
<laughs> in the middle of the celebration and the, uh, the award ceremony, he went up to, to Chris Rock and he just like slapped. So like, I saw the, uh, the video, uh, video footage of it and I thought it was staged. Because, you know, it, it, Chris Rock was, he, he was like cracking up a joke about, you know, Will Smith's wife. Uh, and people were kind of chuckling, ha, ha, ha. But then he just goes up there um, and just slam. So I was like, that kind of looks staged. What's going on, right? But he really meant it. <laughs> he went back down and he was kind of blip, 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 you know, like, you know, and, so, and, and just cussing him out still. And then later, he, he was in such an awkward you know, moment, and then he was voted a nominee, uh, and he actually won the, the, the Best Actor Award, right? And he was just crying and, and all these things. It was the most bizarre thing that I've ever, I've ever seen. You see, even with all the glitz, red carpet, and the fame, even, at the, even the celebration at the highest level, could not hide the brokenness of humanity. I mean, you would think that in such a glitzy place, Grammy Award, uh, award ceremony, people are celebrating. Even there, we see the brokenness of people. Deception, disease, disaster, and despair are everywhere, everywhere around us. So when we slow down for a moment and consider these things, actually, it leads us to pain, anger. We get confused. And also, we grieve by all the things that are going on around us. So then what are we to do? Faced with all this despair, should we just kind of brush it off um, and act like it's really not there? all the things that are happening in us, around us. Just, just play, it just, you know, play ignorance, uh, just, you know. What, what are we to do? Should we just feel overwhelmed and just throw in the towel? Oh, well, that's, it is what it is, right? This is how the world is going to be, and there's nothing I can do to make a difference. Just accept it and just move on. Should that be our mindset? when we see just such an overwhelming pain, brokenness all around us, what should be our response in the face of all the pain and injustice all around us? Especially during this season of Lent. Just want to uh, talk about a couple of things. So the first thing that uh, the mindset we are to have is to hear the good news. Hear the good news. Psalm 34, verse 18, says this. Uh, so uh, anyways, uh, basically it, uh, it is saying that the Lord is near the broken. I don't know if that's the right uh, verse, but um, it, it says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's what it says. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the, saves, uh, saves the crushed in spirit. What it tells us is that God is not near. God is not, oh, God is not a God 
who is kind of aloof. He's just way up there somewhere out there in the universe, so far away from us that he cannot really empathize with us. That's not what he says, that God is near. He's right there among the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. Not only does God see and understand our pain and hurt, but he is especially inclined toward those who are grieving, those who are sorrowful. He is not detached from our suffering. He knows what's going on in you, what you are dealing with, how overwhelmed you may feel, Some Christians have this idea that being a Christian does not, uh, uh, being a Christian means that we must always be happy and joyful and just sweep our grief and sorrow under the rug. And just pretend, pretend that you are fine because you are in Jesus Christ. He wants he want for us the victory. So why lament? Why grieve? Be happy and celebrate his victory. You know, don't show, don't show up in church with like long faces. Right? Just be happy. Just put everything under the rug and pretend and act. It is okay. Things will be all right. Sure, there is a time for celebration, but there is also a time for mourning. Do not over-spiritualize it and dismiss the pain that you are going through because God will meet you where you are. Be honest before him, right? And just the, the, the call to worship passage, the psalmist David was crying out to God, how long, O Lord, how much longer? How long are you going to hide your face from me? I'm crying out to you day and night. We don't know exactly what circumstance uh, he's, uh, he's in at that time. But he was just crying out. And yet he seemed, it seemed like God was not answering him. It seemed like God seemed so distant. So he was just crying out. He was in, he, he was in, he was in pain and suffering. But he didn't just pretend, oh, you know what? There are like millions and billions of uh, Christians who's going to read my psalm, my prayers, in the generations to come. So I better make sure that what I say, the prayer that I lift up to God, is very proper, very, oh, Lord, how great this life is. I'm not suffering. Things are all well with me. No. He was being really honest before him. Some Christians think that they should not lament. They say, move on. Get over it, right? Look at the bright side and move on. Keep looking at Jesus and keep just put that aside, right? But that's not true. Looking at looking to Christ does not mean that you ignore or deny your suffering and pain. The scriptures do not tell us to minimize our sorrow or pretend that it's not really affecting us. The word of God is amply clear that God identifies with our suffering 
and he actually desires to enter into it. Romans chapter 8, 26. I hope we have that, Josh. Yeah. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a comforting word that the Holy Spirit will enter into. He desires, and he will enter into, our, in, in, into the moment of our weakness. And he will intercede. He would groan that is just too deep, even for words. That he would be there, and he would be right there, even um, giving us strength as we pray. Because at times, you know, when things are so tough and so overwhelming, we just don't know what to pray for, how to pray. Have you guys been in a situation like that where you didn't even know what to pray? I don't know how to go about praying to God about this situation, what I am going through. God will be there right there with you. He will strengthen us in our moment of weakness. So first, turn to the word of God and know who God is and where his heart is. He is near the brokenhearted. He is with the crushed in spirit. He is right in our midst, especially more so in our pain and suffering. He's not a God that is so great that he's just out there somewhere, but he's right there with us. Remember that. And hear that word, be reminded when we go through times of difficulty. And the second point is lament. We grieve and we lament because of our own sinfulness first, right? Every time we sin, every time we place a higher value on anything or anyone above God, we grieve him. And it's a common experience for us to love someone, but the other person does not love us back, right? We've all experienced that. And I'm not just talking about some failed dating relationships. You know how like sometimes it could be just puppy love, I don't know, or it could be just a one-way street, right? It's just totally one-sided, but that person is never interested or never gives back the love that you you are craving, right? But it goes both ways too. There are times that we also, somebody may love us, but we are not returning the love. A couple years, uh, you know, not too long ago, like, you know, uh, we sold our condo and then uh, but by the, uh, for, for us, to find, until we were finding our, a place for us to live, we, uh, for a couple of months, we stayed over at my mom's place. And because it, it was such a long time that I've been, you know, living with her, right? The first, like, a few weeks was pretty rocky, right? Because, uh, you know, you know how, like, some of these Korean parents, they kind of still treat you like you're a little kid. And so I just, I just could not handle that. And so there was one time when... Um, like, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was we were eating, um, and even in front of Grace, I said some mean things to, to my mom, right? And as I was saying it, I was like, oh, man. I knew it was, like, wrong, right? And it was, like, too much. The, the things that I said, and I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think I really meant to hurt her, 
right? So I said some really like hurtful things to her, right? So, and then she, uh, what she said is, uh, you know, you can say that to me, but do not say, th <clears throat> sorry. Uh, do not say things like that to Grace, right? And so when she said that, uh, like really like, I was like, oh my gosh, I, even as, as I was saying it, I knew I hurt my mom. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, so you know, I, I really grieved her at the time. And, and she told me, I mean, I, I apologized, but, you know, like, I knew, and she said, yeah, I was really hurt, right, at that time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a common experience for us to, like, receive hurt, and also we hurt the people that we love. Right, because you know when we uh, someone uh, close to us uh, disappoints us, the cut is deeper, right? Uh, because there was trust and there is love, and when we um, you know let them down or they let us down, right? There the cut is really deep. But not to uh, trivialize our pain, but it pales in comparison to the degree of grieving that we heap on God, right? Because the love of God for us is so much greater than any human love that we have ever experienced or we have given to another human being. So when we uh, turn away from God, walk away from God, right? Just the grieving that we give to God, inflict on God, it's much greater. The book of Hosea is pretty obvious, right? Uh, when you read the book of Hosea, you know, you see the agony that God has because of the lack of faithfulness on the part of Israel. He's saying that you have committed spiritual adultery. Instead of turning to me, that you have turned to other gods, other idols, right? Return to me. He's just crying out, and he's speaking through Hosea how he's so grieved by the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. But that's, that may very well be us, right? So first and foremost, we lament because our sinfulness grieves God, and it separates us from a holy and loving God. They really we can truly grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. God is also, because, you know, we are made in the image of God, we have the faculty of emotions, right? Because God has emotions. God is not this, like, bulletproof, like, no, uh, not, I'm not having any emotions kind of God. God does have emotions. God can be heartbroken. God can grieve when we sin, right? So first and foremost, we lament because of our own sinfulness. So like I said during the, the time of uh, confession, you know, let's ask, how is our repentance? Is it just a mental exercise that you engage in in your head and then kind of move on with your life? Is there a real sense of lamenting when my sins really have driven Christ to the cross? 
the cross, uh, the Christ was hung on the cross because, yes, it's the sin of the world. And we kind of tend to kind of generalize it and kind of then it seems like what, what I have done is kind of much smaller in the scale of the whole world. But if you really look at it, it's my own sin that drove him to the cross. And I'm the one who has, you know, nailed him to the cross. So the question that we are to ask during this time is also that is there any agony, right? Do we agonize over our sins? When we turn away from God, when we ignore, when we do our own thing, following our own desires, what I want, right? Do we agonize over what we are doing to him? By God's grace, we've been offered salvation, restoration, and, and reconciliation with God. But we have to remember that he paid an incredible price for that, for him to offer that salvation to us. He paid it all. And yet, we find ourselves repenting or confessing our sins all too casually and mechanically. We mourn because we are so weak. We are fra uh, fragile people. And I used to shake my head at Israelites in the Old Testament or the seemingly incompetent disciples. Like when I was reading the scripture, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, what is wrong with these people? Right? How could they, after experiencing you know, deliverance out of Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, and all, you know, eating manna daily, and seeing this incredible miracle after miracle, how could these dumb Israelites walk away from God and complain to God? What about these disciples? I mean, they have seen with their own eyes, right, what Christ has done right before their eyes. And still, they were like always, they just could not truly believe in Christ. Right? So I was just kind of shaking my head, man out of my self-righteousness. But over time, God has painfully and clearly reminded me that I am no better. If I were there, if I were one of the Israelites at that time, if I were one of the, the, the disciples, I'd have done exactly what they have done. I am no better than any one of them. After experiencing the, 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 the salvation, the joy of salvation, and knowing, knowing God, even having the Holy Spirit indwelling me, and yet I'm still struggling, doing my own things, minding my own business, pursuing my own pleasure and desires, knowing well that what I'm doing, what I'm engaging in, is not pleasing God. But I still do it day after day. So we first lament because of our own sinfulness. Not only that, we, all, we can also lament because of our own suffering. Lament recognizes the struggles of life and it cries, cries out for justice. You are not resigned to the status quo and that's what lamenting is. 
You don't, you don't simply accept it as is, as an, oh well, right? But really just desiring for the, the suffering and the pain to be alleviated or that, that it will be dealt with. The Bible is full of people who lamented and turned their mourning into prayers of faith. We've, uh, so, so often we talked about Job, life of Job, right? He suffered greatly. Can't imagine that the suffering that he had to go through. Jeremiah. I mean, you know, there's even a book that is called the Lamentations, right? I mean, the whole book is dedicated to Jeremiah lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. What they had, the, all the Israelites have, uh, the, the belief that they had was they, they are God's chosen people. So no matter what, that God would be with them, that they will be saved, spared from God's impending judgment on all these other countries. Say, so, hey, we are chosen people of God. And yet, because they themselves did not walk with God, they also ultimately faced the judgment of God. And he's been, God has been sending his messengers, the prophets, to really just t- tell them to repent and uh, turn from their wicked ways, and yet they never did. So they finally, when the time came, they faced destruction. So Jeremiah, he's lamenting. If you read the book of Lamentations, it's a pretty uh, depressing book. But, right, and I'm not going to read it uh, in chapter 3. There just comes an incredible turnabout uh, 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 event where even in the midst of his suffering and mourning and lamenting, Jeremiah turns to God and says, yet, uh, yet I call this to mind. And the, the greatest, the faithfulness of the Lord, it is new each and every day. And once again, turns to God. So they're turning, they're mourning into prayers of faith. Psalms are filled with laments. We looked at one, uh, at the call to worship. But, you know, so when we are going through Psalms, so we, uh, during the Tuesday uh, prayer thing, you know, we went through one Psalm per uh, per, uh, per each, each day, uh, each Tuesday at prayer meeting. So it took us almost three years, right, because there are 150 psalms. So it just went through almost three years. Uh, we, we've gone through that. And, you know, you'll be surprised how many psalms are actually filled. It's laments. There's so many, like, agony, agonizing and groaning that's involved. Psalm 13 that we read was just one of them. There are so many. They're struggling. They're mourning, groaning under the weight of their suffering, what they're going through, different circumstances, sickness, enemies, all these things. The people, they lamented before God. What about our Lord Jesus? Faced with crushing situations, did he try to kind of man up? And act like everything was cool? No. He lamented. In this passage that we just see here, today's passage takes place on the last week of his life. And right before this passage, Luke records the triumphal entry of Jesus. As he's nearing the city of Jerusalem for the last time, you know, people recognize him. So they just put you know, the palm branches on the road and then just crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory to God. 
They would say, whoo, here comes our you know, deliverer. Obviously, they were thinking of uh, this political uh, or the military leader that would, that would set them free from the oppression of Romans. Right? The coming of Jesus to them was the best show in town. I mean, you think about first century Palestine. Right? What entertainment, what show would they have? They barely just make it day by day, try to survive. <clears throat> and then they hear about this sensational miracle worker. I mean, if they had Instagram back then, right, it would have just blown up, right, with all the pictures and whatever that he was doing, if he was available. There was this undeniable excitement around him. They wanted to see what he would do next, because even though they may never have seen him in person, They've heard so many stories about this incredible guy, this new sensation, right? So they were just following, and then they were, says, you have to imagine this scene where they are just so excited. Hosanna, wow, great. We're so glad that you are here. Let's go, Jesus. Set us free. Lead us. Crush the enemy that is Romans. And then he does something so unexpected. While the crowd was going wild, suddenly, in this passage, he weeps. Huh? What's he doing? Why? Because Jesus knew that the crowd's excitement did not come from the true understanding of the spiritual reality. God came to them in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, but they failed to recognize him, and they rejected him. They were about to. The actions of the crowd would eventually bring war, not peace. He knew that the city would, would be destroyed. The Romans actually besieged and destroyed Jerusalem in the war of six, uh, 66 to 70 AD. So about 30, 40 years after, he spoke these words. You know, Jerusalem, it means city of peace. That's what it means. Jerusalem, it means city of peace. But it hardly lived up to its name throughout his, its history. There was always a war. And he wanted Jerusalem to repent and seek salvation through him. But the city of peace was blind to the prince of peace. They rejected the very source of their salvation. And as a result... Jesus wept. As he thought about the blindness of the people and the impending judgment, he could not help but weep over Jerusalem and the people in it. The truth is, there are still many Jerusalems around the world, cities full of people who reject Christ and the gospel. Are we lamenting the plight of this world because the world is racing toward destruction? I think lament is a, a lost art uh, among Christians, especially in the West, because we live in, uh, in, in, in plenty, right? Yeah, we may just suffer here and there, but I don't know if we really lament, right? But God wants us to come to him in times of trouble and lament. You know, lamenting is not 
about getting things off your chest. That's not lamenting, right? It's not complaining or moping around. It's not just being passive-aggressive with God. Lamenting is about entrusting our fears, worries, hurts to the Lord and looking to him for his strength and guidance. We're committing our situation into his hands and looking to him to guide us and to strengthen us in the midst of our struggles and sufferings. You know, whining reveals a lack of intimacy with God. Lamenting, uh, lamenting is not whining. It is a form of prayer. Now hearts cry that will turn into worship. You know, anyone can complain, and just about everyone complains, right? But Christians can lament. We can talk to God and pour out our hearts to him. We can pray to him in our suffering and in our pain for divine intervention. We can cry out to God for wisdom and discernment and guidance because we have this trusting and loving relationship with God. To lament is to be utterly honest before him whom we can trust as, our, as a sovereign God. Um, maybe, yeah, let me um, briefly uh, read. Yeah, I didn't even prepare the, the, the slides for the lamentations, but I think this really uh, captures what lament, uh, lamenting is really about. Um, lamentations chapter 3, said, uh, I'm just going to read some verses. Starting from verse 1, I mean, the whole, starting from chapter 1, Jeremiah has been just like lamenting. And he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Because he's seen the destruction of Jerusalem. He has seen the very temple of God, the people of God being absolutely just um, destroyed, killed. So he says, yeah, I'm a man who has seen the affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. Have you, ever, have you guys ever felt like that at times? That he's, it's just so crushing. You just don't know what. You feel so hopeless and helpless. And that's what he's uh, feeling. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead, uh, dead of long ago. He has walked me, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has my paths crooked. He's a bear. He's even referring to God as a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. So you could just see 
he, what he's going through, he's just so heartbroken. And he said, man, God, where is God? God is, seems like God is against me, right? And I'm just going to skip over. But then he co- continues to like, lament and talks about how, what he's going through. And then he turns once again in his lamentation, his lamenting. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers, remembers it and is, uh, is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. And he goes on. In there, that is lamenting. That is the, the classic example of lamenting. Yes, he's pouring out his soul. God, it's just too much for me. I cannot do that. I cannot go any further. I want to give up. I want to throw in the towel. I want to walk, walk away from it all. But it's not really complaining, but committing yourself to the Lord and trusting in him. Lamenting is a form of prayer. Biblical lament affirms that suffering is real and spiritually significant, but it is not hopeless. We may groan, but we are not to give up. But trust in God. We can lament. And in his mercy, God has given us a form of language where we can communicate with him intimately and where he will draw us nearer to himself. So may we draw near to him, near him in times of trouble and find hope and strength. Lamenting is definitely something that we can do. Turn to him, trust him continuously. But you don't have to hide what you are going through. Be honest with him. But don't make that into a whining session. But turn it into a lamenting. Waiting on God silently. Continually hoping. Turning to him and trusting him. May that be our uh, attitude and response during this time. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. And uh, 